What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Kawhi Leonard is going to join the Clippers. Kawhi turns the corner for the win. Three on the way. Yes. Paul George nails it. Lou Williams for the win. Bingo. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Clip and Roll. I am your host, Justin Russo, and joined with me today is not a special guest because Farbod, you're back. Hello. It is I. That's it? That's all you're going to give the people? It is I, Farbod, from okay. Farbod underscore E at Twitter. Okay. Wow, you're just killing it right now. Crushing it. Crushing it. All right, so I was with Garrett after Monday when the Clippers beat Miami somehow. And since then, they played the Utah Jazz yesterday. We're recording this on Thursday. By the time you hear this, it'll be Friday. And the Clippers will be preparing for their second game against the Utah Jazz. But yesterday on Wednesday, the Clippers played the Utah Jazz. They lost by 18, 114 to 96. However, the final score doesn't really do that game justice because the Clippers were down Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Nicholas Batum, and Luke Kennard, who was a late scratch. And they still kept that game reasonably close for the better part of three quarters. And even about three minutes into the fourth quarter, they were only down by eight. Like they were in that game. And I mean, Utah they were hits down a, four at one point in the fourth quarter. A th- either way, like Utah hits a 10-0 run and basically just like motors away from them. And that was it. Like the Clippers just didn't have enough firepower. They turned the ball over a lot. Um, they didn't shoot enough threes. Utah did a great job running them off the line. They had no answer for Rudy Gobert, predominantly because the Utah guards, as the Clippers players said post game, did a great job navigating around Gobert's screens. All these things led to a Clippers loss, and it is what it is. Let's be realistic. The Utah Jazz are the best team in basketball based on a win loss formula, based on net rating. And the Clippers are playing them without four key contributors, including three big-time starters, including two of the best players in the league. So this isn't a shock. Yes, Utah was without Mike Conley. However, the Clippers did a good job of keeping this close. We'll see what Friday has in store. But were there any other takeaways from this game that you had? It was a weird game because very it weird. was a, a very significant game. But, like... It's weird to have a game be so significant, also be so insignificant at the same time. Like, if it, in the same way as the Miami game, like if the Clippers win that game, that's a really bad loss for the opposing team. Like, for Miami to lose to the Clippers or Utah to lose to the Clippers would be really, really bad, arguably the worst loss of the season for them. But if the Clippers win, it's a very good win. But then because of the nature of the standings right now, the Utah game was just super important. So it had like an extra level of sting to it, even though it shouldn't have, because it's like you, there's nothing you can take away when you're missing two of the top 10 players in the NBA against the, the team with the best record. It is interesting to me though, that I'm fully on board with calling Utah, the best team in the NBA. 
it is interesting because they're the other team that blew through one lead besides the Clippers. So it's like both of them have the narrative of like, yeah, but what about the playoffs? But they seem to be getting really, really lucky with the top teams that they're facing. They get to face Philadelphia without Embiid. They get to face the Clippers without Paul George and Kawhi. They could potentially face the Clippers again without Paul George and Kawhi, for sure without Paul George. And then they get to face the Lakers without Anthony Davis. And it's just, that is a very lucky string of top teams you get to face only once or twice and not have to worry about the best players on their teams. Uh, I'll get into that one second. Real quick, the Clippers did lose the season series to the Utah Jazz. They only play each other three times this year. Western Conference teams only play Western Conference teams three times. The Clippers lost in Utah early in the season by six. They didn't lose this game. Obviously, players were missing. They lose this game. And even if the Clippers win on Friday, they don't win the season series. So if the two teams end up tied in the standings at the end of the season, Utah has the tiebreaker and head to head. So they would get the priority in the standings. That's, you know, that's also why yesterday was kind of a big game, even though uh, there was like no pressure on the Clippers. It was still a big game. I do want to talk about the Utah thing. Cause you mentioned they've been very fortunate in terms of like, you know, Philadelphia being without Embiid, the Clippers being without players, ADs obviously being out, stuff like that. But Utah's also been missing guys too, and they've still been winning games. Like they missed Donovan Mitchell in two games against Dallas and beat them both times by a combined 31 points. They then have missed Mike Conley the last six games, and that hasn't stopped them from winning all but one game by double digits. And the only game they didn't win by double digits, they won by eight. So they've had some similar like they've missed guys for games they've missed ingles for several games uh, for a couple games they've missed favors for a couple games yes predominantly they've been a healthy team but i can't hold that against them when they're still taking advantage of the of the things that are in front of them and i did a breakdown today like their schedule for the second half of the season is gonna be ridiculously light like i think people are gonna be shocked at how not formidable their schedule really is in the last half of the season and this is a team who I think is on pace and the odds on favorite and for me to get the one seed out West. Yeah. Unless something, unless they get some like Clippers level of unluckiness and start missing four starters, I don't think they're going to lose the one seed. It seems. And when you look at the Lakers upcoming schedule, like their next eight games, aren't that uh, easy. They're, they're pretty hard for their next eight games. They're not going to have Anthony Davis. So It'll be very interesting. Like the whole standings are very bizarre because like Portland's only what two games behind the Clippers. Portland's next two games are the the Wizards and the Suns. The Clippers' next two games are the Jazz and the Nets, potentially without Kawhi and Paul George. Like you can very easily slip to the four seed by next week. Yeah, you know what's weird is that can happen. I'm also not at all worried about the Clippers if they slip to the four. Or even five. Like, I, I know what this team is. Like, I've we've seen it when they're healthy. So I'm kind of of the mindset of, like, them falling a little bit because of injuries doesn't really deter my mental process and what I believe the team to be. Utah, to me, is just getting the one seed. Um, their next two games, obviously, the Clippers on Friday. They then play Charlotte. Charlotte's not an easy team to play. They're actually pretty scrappy, and they have a really fun offense. Um, play a lot of zone defense, by the way. I think Charlotte plays, like, the most zone in the league. Um, so that would be interesting for Utah's three-point uh prowess um where was i going with this oh but then after that utah gets the lakers and you know the lakers play brooklyn on thursday if the lakers lose that game because they're gonna be without anthony davis granted brooklyn's gonna be without kevin uh yeah without kevin durant right yeah but brooklyn just seems to get up very very well for 
winning teams. So. They really do. They've been hammering winning teams. It's kind of wild. Um, if the Lakers lose that game on Thursday, they're three back in the loss column of Utah before they've ever played the Jazz. And if the Jazz win that game against the Lakers, all of a sudden Utah has a stranglehold on this number one seed. And it's going to be very difficult to catch them, even if you have health in the second half of the season, because one of the things I think that hasn't been talked about in regards to even just Utah in, in particular, they're one of the few teams that's allowed fans in the arena. So when you start getting to the postseason, they're going to have fans. That's going to be a real home court advantage by that time, which is kind of weird because it's not like the California team is going to be having fans, you know? Well, I don't know how many fans. Like, I still don't think it's like I, – I, I really wouldn't consider that like a – a real, real home court advantage. I think the home court advantage is more like the altitude. other things like, like you can't party in LA. So you have to stay in the hotels. Like, I don't know how much your home court advantage is a real home court advantage when like you have to just stay in the hotel the entire time you're visiting and you can't leave. Like everybody's, it's, I feel like that's why the road records are so good this season. The home records have been so whatever is because they have to be so much more serious when they're on the road. By the way, Utah's good, man. I just want to say that right, right, right away. Utah's just freaking good. They're awesome. Um, they're a nightmare for teams to play because they feature arguably the best role man in the business, who is the best interior shot blocking presence and rim deterrence in the league. You just, they, they just have to hope they don't see Jokic in the playoffs. Maybe, but then, but the rest of Denver's been so blah that who knows? I mean. Utah's ability to leverage pick and roll action into wide open threes is absolutely ridiculous. They relocate two corners for threes better than any team in the league. Um, but, you know, I guess we can just segue. The Clippers have eight games remaining before, you know, we all go into the all-star break. And obviously they play Utah on Friday. But then after that, it's Brooklyn on Sunday, the Wizards next Tuesday, then a back-to-back Thursday, Friday in Memphis against the Grizzlies. And then not this Sunday, but next Sunday, they have an afternoon game on ABC against the Milwaukee Bucks. And then they finish up with the Boston Celtics and the Washington Wizards uh, March 2nd and March 4th. That's the end of a five-game road trip. And then all of a sudden, you're at the All-Star break, which uh, real quick, can't believe they're actually having an All-Star game. They're going to do some festivities beforehand because that's cool. Anyways... um, What do you think they do? Like It's all predicated on PG and Kawhi coming back. And obviously Batum is out with a concussion. Um, this is not an easy stretch, but there are several winnable games. Like, I don't think they beat Utah if Kawhi and PG are out. I don't think they beat Brooklyn if Kawhi and PG are out. But they might beat maybe Washington. Maybe they can beat Brooklyn and Kawhi and PG are out because like, maybe that's when Brooklyn's like, oh, we don't have to care about these guys. They're missing everybody. And then suddenly, I mean, Brooklyn just seems very Clippers of last year. Where it's like they destroyed all the winning teams and then slept on all the bad teams. So maybe um, after that, I mean, look, this Clippers team can beat Washington, possibly beat Memphis both times, but me- beating beating a team two straight times, especially on a back to back, is very tough. And then they have the other game against the Wizards. Um, they could go four and four in this final eight, and I would I would look at that as if you go into the All Star break at twenty five and thirteen with the injuries you've had with the guys that have missed games, that that's a huge positive, you know. Yeah, I think four and four, anything higher than four and four is like having your cake and eating it too. I think you should yeah, be happy with... five and three or so? My God. Yeah. Anything higher than four and four is just like, you cannot complain at all. Uh, four and four, I think, is 
what you should be hoping for. Yeah, uh, real quick on the injuries. Uh, the Luke Kennard one's a little concerning because they ruled him out with right knee soreness um, before the first Utah game. It's a little concerning because Kennard dealt with bilateral knee tendonitis last year with Detroit. So you, you kind of hope it's more of a precautionary thing than anything else. Um, but we won't know until we get the injury report dropped uh, later on Thursday or early Friday. So. Even, the, even then, we... <laughs> yeah, even, even then, then, we, we don't, don't know. know anything because they like to tell people nothing all the time. Like, you have to really work through the back channels to learn anything about who's actually hurt with the Clippers. Like, By the way, can I just say something that annoys me real quick? Hmm. So I have the Clippers PR tweets on notifications, so this way I don't miss anything, right? Um, but you know how like you know how like they'll update the injury report like f- like forty five minutes before the game. Yeah, uh, they do a crap job because when you when they reply to their own tweet, you don't get a tweet notification for that. I don't think I ever get tweet notifications for some reason from them. <coughs> Sorry. No, no, you're good. You're just dying over there. You're good. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I ever get tweet notifications from them. Like the only time I ever get the injury report is because I see somebody else do it. I'm like, oh, okay, it's time. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, so yeah. You basically you'll never learn anything. Like the only reason I got this, like, to be able to say Kawhi and PG were coming back in Orlando is because I had to go back channels. Like otherwise, you'll never learn. They just keep everything close to the chest and. I mean, from what I understand, like no liter- no one really knows when Paul George is coming back. Like I have asked around quite a ton and like Okay, hold on. Hold on. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to open your free account and start winning Instant Karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash winmoney. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Let's now go into the into the questions that we've gotten, okay? Because there's some of that, so we need to discuss it. Trey LAC underscore tweets to us and asks, why can't we have nice things? Because you're a Clipper fan. That's exactly why you can't have nice things. Yeah, you're a Clipper fan. Uh, at R-I-T-C-U-H-1, is that, I was, guess I would call that Ritka1. There we go. I, I always With, see that name. Would Ty Lue ever run a lineup of PG, Kawhi, Batum, Morris, Ibaka to close out a game in the postseason? If so, who would be able to stop that? I think he would. I think that if the team was healthy, he'd be trying other lineups to try to get things ready for like a postseason run. Um, as, as to who would be able to stop that, I think several teams could because that's the NBA. Like there's no lineup that I'm like, oh, this lineup literally cannot be stopped. Like there are days where lineups are just not good. So... But that's a good lineup. I think they need to try to run it eventually. Uh, 
do you have any disagreement by the way no, I, I think he'll try end up running that. The one that's like the one I don't know if he'll ever run is Zoo and uh, Zoo and Ibaka. But okay, we have one of those questions in a little bit too. At your boy twenty four, do you think we need a backup center just for insurance? And if so, who? Um, you got any ideas? Oh, sorry, the house phone is ringing. For some reason, we have a house phone and it is very loud. I still have a house phone too, so it's give me, good. Give me I like, like this two seconds no you're good i actually like this this is this is a nice segue to this backup center question look at that listen to that folks okay this is like an old 1960s ring yeah i don't know why okay it is done it was actually just someone calling to give me an update about paul george's injury they said uh he's leaving the clippers that's that's what you signed up for when you like this team you just gotta be ready for heartbreak anyway Uh, do, do you think they need a backup center just for insurance and if so who uh probably i mean i like Dwayne dedman but i don't i uh, we're not going to see a signing i think until you get to the prorated well yeah because you're gonna get to the prorated time the clippers are not enough under the hard cap right now to sign someone so they have to wait a little bit until salaries become truly prorated yeah i i mean i haven't even thought about that to be honest like at all but i guess Dwayne dedman would be a good option i would agree with that at Gabriel Fister 8 asks, what are your off-season predictions? To be honest, it's way too early. Yeah, that is way too early. Way too early. I would early. like to say we go to a parade, but I don't know. Okay, let's, yeah. In a panoramic? Uh, at, at BMAC asks, what's the real story with PG's injury? Is it serious? First off, yes, it is serious. Because anytime you hear the phrase bone edema, it is serious. Um, the real story is he has bone edema in his right toe. We don't know how it happened. There's been very, very little information given as a result. Um, we don't know when he'll be back. If you go, I've talked about this before. If you go off previous bone edema cases, some of them go for several months. So I, I don't know when he'll be back. Specifically not to go by previous ones, though, for this instance. Okay. Uh, and that it's super case by case and that they have no idea until the swelling goes down and that like basically you just it's it's I think there was a lot of optimism internally at first and then it was like oh well we can't really tell anything and so so now they're just sitting and waiting for the swelling to go down before they can decide anything but I don't the the worst case scenario, like the auto porter type scenario, I don't think you you got to worry about that quite yet. Because if that was the case, like I think you'll start seeing it more and more. But right now, it's just it's still a case by case scenario. Um, I guess if you're looking for a positive in the Paul George Bone Edema front, he was working uh, pregame a couple days ago on the court, so it's a good sign that he's able to get some shots up at least. Um, I mean, they but can survive gonna... these next eight games without him because this was this was the hardest part. This was like they needed him back by Brooklyn and Utah. And if he's not back by Brooklyn and Utah, then like whatever, right? The only game they really need him back for after that is uh, the Bucks. But it was it was the Utah portion of the schedule where they you really needed him back. So uh, I just if he's not back by then. Like it's not really a rush anymore. I just look at it like they might as well just let him get the all-star break off. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, and then he won't get to be an all-star. Eh, whatever. Uh, at 
uh, NVMY Swag 2 asks, why aren't the Clippers top five in three-point attempts if they're so good at shooting the three ball? Only 26 of their 86 attempts yesterday against Utah came from downtown. And eventually against teams that protect the line well, you have to let it fly in order to counter a low free throw rate as well. Um, I don't think they're top five in three-point attempts. Personally, if you actually look at it, going off of raw three-point attempts is actually not the way to do it because the Clippers don't play a fast pace. They play a pretty slow style of pace. slow pace. Yeah, they're actually, if you go off of clean the glass, in terms of shot frequency, the Clippers are 16th in three-point frequency, which isn't high, it isn't low. Obviously, that's middle of the pack. The thing with them is they have guys that you don't need to just walk up and take threes. So they're trying to generate shots by getting to the rim or working in the in the mid post or in the short mid-range areas. So they're not going to be a top flight three-point attempt team, but, but because they have the shooters that they do, they're going to take a good enough amount to basically mitigate a lot of other things. Breaking news. Nothing. That was what the telephone was for. Kawhi Leonard has been named an all-star starter in the Western Conference. Has he? Yeah. Look at us. All right, at a low 33. What's up, Asher? Not having a full team for a decent amount of last regular season definitely hurt us in the playoffs, but this year I almost feel like there have been a lot of positives. Who do you think, if anyone, will benefit most in the long run with their added minutes and opportunities these last few games? Easy answer, Terrence Mann. Wait, let's, uh, let me name these all-star starters real quick. Oh, my God. I'm going to do it. Go ahead. It's Steph Curry. Okay. This is going to be the first time you've ever heard this, right? Yeah, I have not looked at it. Go ahead. S- Steph Curry. Okay. Luka Doncic. Okay. LeBron James. Of course. Jokic. Okay, and Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, so pretty pretty amazing that the Jazz are doing this well. <laughs> you don't have a single starter. Eh, oh, well. All right. So who do you think any will benefit from in the long run with their added minutes and opportunities these last few games? I said the easy answer is Terrence Mann. Do you agree? No, it's easily Terrence Mann. Yeah, I mean, he is clearly like way better this year than he was last year. Yeah, I, the coaching staff has talked about how they just basically told him you don't need to be a point guard, just be a wing, and it's helped him. Um, it's I mean I mean Coffee's always kind of had it, but Terrence Mann's just developed like he just has like. Man, he's got like Luke Kennard, the confidence Luke Kennard needs, it feels like. Well, speaking of Luke Kennard, at Kermit Last Straw asks, do you think we'll trade Luke Kennard since we're not really playing him that much? Now, here's the thing, just so everyone understands, this is a non-starter question. They literally cannot trade him. His contract extension put him to a poison pill status that does not make him trade eligible until past the trade deadline, which means they literally cannot trade him this season. So there's no sense in even anyone even trying to entertain Luke Kennard trade ideas. Honestly, you know what I think that contract is for? Um, the off trade him in the off season. Well, not just trade him in the off season, but it's like Lou Lou has said that he only has like one year left, right? Lou like Williams. Yeah, like he has said, I think it was last year, two years you know, last year, two years ago, he was like, I only really got two years left where I feel like I can play at the level I can play at. So, and this was the final portion of that year, right? So you, right. you, you don't really know what's going to happen with Lou Williams after this year. 
And I think Luke Kennard is that insurance policy for whatever happens to Lou Williams so. after this year. Yeah. Well, he's always going to be the guy who he was always going to be the guy who takes over Lou's spot when Lou's in free agency. Yeah. So I think it, it's more about that than anything else. So I don't know what happens with Lou. Although if if you were to put a gun to my head right now, I'm like, who do you want, Lou Williams or Luke Kennard? I would say Lou Williams very easily. But uh, I think that's what he's there for is that insurance policy. All right. Do you want to do some rapid fire questions? Because we got a lot of questions. Let's get through some real fast. Sure. At John Stoddard, Paul George, what are they saying about when they see his bone edema clearing up so he can play as a matter of days or months? Uh, we don't know as of right now. It, I mean, at the beginning, they thought it was days, but now there is no idea. Yeah, okay. At Lord Ham Mercy, by the way, every time I see your name, Lord, this thing is great. I love it. Lord Ham Mercy. What does Ty Lue have to accomplish to be crown coach of the year? They have to win. The, they have to be the top seed, I think, and I don't think they're getting that. Yeah, they're not. It, also, Quinn Snyder's going to be a coach of the year. It's not even a hundred percent, hundred percent. And the he deserves the mighty ducks coach. Oh my god, he does look like that guy, doesn't he? Yeah, he definitely, he definitely the looks guy? like. Yeah, he definitely looks like an evil mighty ducks coach. Oh god, yeah. Now that you mentioned it, uh, at Pine ninety nine Cone, what does Kawhi have to do to get his name more involved in the MVP race? Farbod? Uh, be LeBron James, and not be, be out as long. I guess be thirty six. That too. Uh, at Chip City Twenty, how would you grade Serge Ibaka's performance so far? So far, I give it a B. Yeah, I give it a B. He has some B good games. Like he has some really good games, and then he has other games where I'm like, bro, just like you're at the rim. Like how are you? How are you missing so many of these? The crazy part is he shoots like sixty seven percent around the rim. Well, I feel like I see him miss more than make at I, the I rim. Know. Uh, at C H G U T I E one. Uh, Chris Goody or Chigudi one. Sorry, I, if I butchered your name, his name is Chris Gutierrez. I'm sorry, Chris. Uh, will we ever see Ibaka and Zubac share the court as a four or five? I think so at some point. Ty Lue has talked about how he wants to see it at some point, so I think we will. Who's Zoo and uh, Zoo and Surge? Yeah. Uh, I don't know, because Surge likes playing the five. Does, he like, loves it. Yeah, I don't know. And he didn't do well playing the four in Toronto. And every Toronto fan was like, you don't want him to play the four. Yeah, he's more of a five. He's talking so about I, he wants I, to be more I, of a five. I honestly don't know unless it's like a really, really, really intense situation where uh, like they have to have two big guys at the same time. So I think the only time that happens is if you get like Jamichael and Jokic against you again when you're playing Denver. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. Um, at Clipstown, cause is it suspicious that the medical staff has been ruling out players with soreness all the time? This has been happening since since Lob City days. I think it's time for a new medical staff. I cannot comment on the medical staff or how suspicious this is. I mean, I don't know about this instance, right? But I know in the past someone has gotten fired for messing up somebody's diagnosis, like years a couple years ago. I do know that for a fact. But I don't know about like this whole instance i mean i all the only thing i can say is this team has had the potential to get the first seed for like the last decade and never gets the first seed because of injuries whether it's blake griffin or chris paul or Kawhi or pg or whoever always injuries get in the way of them getting the first seed uh blake still got hurt when he left the clippers chris paul Still got hurt when he went to the Rockets, although he was played a really good year with OKC where he did, was pretty healthy. But 
that's where you got to gauge are they just injury prone players or what is is there something else and, and like for the most part most people are just injury prone players yeah uh at why soxy said asked defensively we got some problems on the rebound how do how do we fix that thoughts personally they're fine on the defensive glass they're eighth in defensive rebound rate they were actually number one in the league prior to Kawhi and pg having to miss games i think i think people are way too focused on the defensive glass in instances where the team is not fully healthy that's just how i look at it yeah Uh, it's, it's uh i mean on the glass it's also there's just so many three pointers. It's hard to get rebounds the way. Yeah, because there's longer rebounds. Yeah, it's just the rebounding is not the same thing as rebounding was before because the ball is just flying around everywhere now. And not having Kawhi and PG, the lengthy wings to rebound on long rebounds, also kills you. Or Pat Bev, who always. Yeah. 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 Uh, at two one three clips that asks, what are your trade deadline slash buyout predictions? I kind of just think the Clippers, a weird guy I was looking at was Rondé Hollis Jefferson. I think that's someone they look at in the buyout market. Yeah, it's either one of two things. It's going to be a small move like that, like a Rondé Hollis Jefferson or someone who's going to get bought out. But the the interesting thing to keep your eye on is I've heard from multiple people, A, Kyle Lowry has his house for sale in Toronto. B, I heard he thinks he's, he's going to get moved. So whatever happens with Kyle Lowry will be interesting because that will certainly cause a domino effect. Okay, let's talk about this for a second and then we're going to go super, super rapid fire on questions. Not okay? to say Kyle Lowry is going to get traded to the Clippers. I'm no, saying I Kyle don't... Lowry could go somewhere and then that's going to change who's going to be available all around. True. I just want to talk about Kyle Lowry to the Clippers for a second because I have seen that rumor going around. That's not happening, folks. I just need to say that out loud to people. That is not happening. In order to make the money work, the Clippers have to send out four players just for Kyle Lowry alone. That's a four-for-one swap. In a season where the Clippers only have 14 actual rotation spots taken up, they have a 15-spot open, so they only have 14 players technically under roster, and they're that close to the hard cap, that means after that trade, they'd have 11 players and have to fill at least three spots with players with no money. It's not happening anyways let's rapid fire at wm13 edit will the clippers trade lou will no i don't think the thing with lou will and pat bev and all them if they're ever available or whatever i don't think they're untouchable but it's just unpro like it's just unlikely all right uh at j at j underscore dub 23 underscore one hi johnny you bastard he asks, why did you stop posting the chair? Because you kept roasting me. So shut up. At Jacobo underscore Mantila asks, when should a Clipper fan start to worry about Kawhi and PG missing games? Um, I just wouldn't worry for a while, to be honest, unless it's like seriously bad. Yeah, I think Kawhi, the fact that he was questionable is a good thing. Yeah. At Jamel Wood asks, whose play surprised you the most over the past three to four weeks? Avita Zubats. I feel like I feel like Zubats the last three to four weeks has been massive for them. I mean, that doesn't surprise me. I, well, I okay, he was yeah, that's true. That doesn't surprise me. I think Terrence Mann surprised me the most because I was. Just I like, would agree. Okay. Holy crap! Like this guy's hitting step back fadeaways and stuff. Well, Amir Coffee making ten career three pointers prior to the final prior to the last two games and hitting seven is wild as hell. Yeah, but like 
anyone, I mean, we've seen it against the Clippers where like anyone can get really hot if they're wide open from the corner, right? Like we have these guys with career low games getting hot against the Clippers, but for somebody to consistently be as aggressive as Terrence Mann is and really like making his presence known in the free throw line or getting rebounds, like he's like suddenly turned into this mini Pat Bev. You know, I've talked about how I'm going to release this podcast on Friday. I think I'm just going to release it today. Uh, I'm gonna. I want to name the Eastern Conference All Stars too. Just because I want to get your reaction. I want to get your reaction. Oh my god, we're 30 minutes into this. I want to get through the questions. Let me get your reaction. Go ahead, Kyrie. Okay. Bradley Beal. Okay. Uh, What? Okay. Kevin Durant. Okay. Giannis. All right. And Joel Embiid. I don't know about Beal as a starter. Uh, I mean. He was because the fan vote was so high for him. Oh, that's the pity vote. All right. Anyways, at Kawhi Town too, what do the Clippers need to do to win a championship? Do we need to trade any players? I think the team constructed is fine to win a title. It'll be the thing is this season so like rapid fire. I the only thing I say is it was so interesting. Somebody said, "What regular season game has had any significance to you?" Where you're like, "Oh, this meant something," and it was so hard this whole season to determine anything. But I will say Clippers and Nets gave some real insight on like where people stand. That was such an amazing game. That's the best game of the season. Yeah, that that gave some insight on where his team stand. And it's like that lets you know the margin for error the Clippers have against that, the Nets. That was a that was a just an amazing game to watch as a fan. Uh, at Clipper Spencer asked, sometimes when the offense stagnates, our guys def- default to bad iso ball. Is that a legitimate problem that might bite us in the playoffs? Or is it just a product of so many guys in and out of the lineup that it's hard to run the new system built for a healthy squad? So here's the fun thing that I've – like this is the interesting thing for me. I think this team has more of a, of a system than last year's team. So like when guys are out, I actually notice they're running stuff that does work. Yeah, I don't I think mean, they did that last year. I do think it, it is a little concerning because we saw it – Against the Nets, it was like they suddenly fell for the trap of ISO ball. Uh, we also saw it against the Celtics. Um, so it could be concerning, but you have guys that are really, really good that can make those ISO shots. It's right. just a matter of how long do they stay trapped in that system. All right, uh, at Trevor Martin, though, asked, last season the team was dealing with injuries too, but its defense looked way better than this season. Is it just eye test? Is defensive rating a good indicator? Is the common factor in lose teams a not that great defense? If they have defensive issues, how can they fix it? Do you want to take this one to start? Say it one more time for me. You said it really fast. Are you Really? Yes. Okay. Last, I have a train going by. I'm leaving that in the podcast. It adds flavor, baby. Last season, the team was dealing with injuries too, but its defense looked way better than this season. Is it just eye test? Is defensive rating a good indicator? Is the common factor in lose teams a not that great defense? And if they have defensive issues, how can they fix it? You want to start? Uh, I think the defensive rating is a bit overrated at this point when you saw what the Nets mm-hmm. did against the Clippers. Yeah. Because... A team can clearly not be that great defensively and then all of a sudden kick it up during the playoffs. Even like Denver last year wasn't that great defensively and then suddenly they had an amazing game plan for Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, um, I'm not really worried about the defense, especially if they get healthy. Like when they're like their starting lineup, their fully healthy starting lineup is a monster defensively based on numbers. I, what um, I am worried about is how often they let guys, you know, shoot uncontested floaters. Uh, but fine, they seem though. to adapt to that well. I mean, the first time they let the Cavs get way too many off, and then the second time they destroyed the Cavs. Yeah. 
Um, at Greg Burns six two six asks, why does the Clipper? Why do the Clippers get unnecessary hate from the media and other fan bases? To be honest, I really don't care. Uh, one because they talked way too much smack last season. That two, is true. Like way too much smack from the players to the organization to everything. Two because they have all the guys the Lakers wanted. <laughs> And it's almost like a team constructed of guys the Lakers wanted to get but couldn't get from Patrick Beverly to Kawhi Leonard to Paul George to Serge Ibaka. And Laker fans take up a majority of the space in terms of what you see or hear. So if you do something pro-Laker fan, you will get a ton of engagement on social media. And if you do something anti-Clipper, you will get a ton of engagement on social media. So it results in a thing where the default thing to do if you want to get clout and clitter, like clicks is crap on the Clitter. Clip. You said clitter. Yeah. All right. At Trevor Martin, though, asked another one. Is the medical staff an issue? Is the team willing to improve that area? Are players looking for second opinions more often than previous years? And do Kawhi and PG have their own doctors? Okay. I don't know if Kawhi and PG have their own doctors. I'm going to assume they do, but never assume things. Uh, I don't know about second opinions. The team is willing to improve in any area that they need. As far as the medical staff being an issue, I don't know. I I. I think people have put too much of an emphasis on that. Like, I don't know if you, th- I don't know if people think the medical staff is just like injuring the players. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I already answered this question. Yeah. Where there have right. been instances where they misdiagnosed and I don't know if this is one or anything like that. These are also just injury prone guys. So um, it's hard to say anything of that capacity. Um I'm sure Kawhi has his own doctor, though. Yeah. At Jordan Clips fan asks, what's your favorite thing Tyloo has implemented with this year's team? A lot more secondary action. When the ball's on one side of the floor, there's more action on the other side. Uh, Doc kind of just only had single side action. Ty's running a lot more second side. Yeah, I mean, I just like the overall ball movement, too. It just seems like a lot better. It just seems like they're always getting good shots when they're healthy. Yep. Uh, at fear, the bench mob asked Tom, uh, Tomas Sadoransky as a clipper would be under, would be what? And I, I'm just going to say, great. I would love him. Great. He's a good, he's a good player. Do you know who that is? Nope. Okay. We're just moving on at T underscore bleak. What are your thoughts on Amir coffee's recent play? Do you see him developing into a consistent role player off the bench in the next couple of years? His recent play has been fantastic. Um, I don't know what his role going forward is. So I, I feel like he's a hyperactive wing who can give the Clippers some minutes. So that's a good sign. It's tough to tell. He kind of reminds me of Ty Wallace, where Ty Wallace looked really good for the Clippers and then never the really way, got By the way, Ty Wallace in the G League for the Clippers looking solid. Yeah, but like he never really got a good, good shot in the NBA. So True. it's tough. It's tough to say with a lot of those guys, like – Unless they end up finding like a really good spot, like in Toronto, where they get legitimate time to shine, it's it's tough because they they'll have stretches of looking good and then they just go back to the G League. All right, uh, at third string sport, I promise you, we're almost done with questions. At third string sport, asks when will the pain and suffering end? Hopefully soon. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, hopefully soon. At Huncho Smooth, asks they're benefiting from being a team that's been together for a while, and they're. Oh, never mind. That's not a question. This is about Utah. Oh my God, I'm an idiot. Anyways, Utah is benefiting from being together for a while. I'm sorry. So, but yeah, I was an idiot. Anyways, uh, last one from at Mamba Blanco. Are you concerned about the lack of paint points come playoff time, three point regression, and an over reliance on jumpers? 
Personally, I am not worried or concerned about that. I know Farbot is, so I'm going to let him rant for a little bit, and then I'll come back in at the end. No, I mean, I've already mentioned it numerous times. I'm very concerned about it because when they lost Game 7 against the Nuggets, they missed, I forgot the number, but it was like they missed like, I don't know, 15 or more wide open corner threes. And it's like, to me, just because the shot is wide open does not mean it has to go in, right? You, at some point, something has got to give. And it's, it was the same thing that happened against Houston in 2015. I don't remember the exact stat anymore, but it was Austin Rivers, Matt Barnes, J.J. Redick, and Jamal Crawford combined shot for like 20% uh, altogether. So jump, like people like to argue that like jump shooting works now, but when you look at it, it only worked for the Warriors because they have two of the greatest shooters in the history of basketball. And then Kevin Durant, who is like the greatest, arguably one of the greatest scorers in the history of basketball. That's who it works for. The Clippers are good, but they're not Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, where it's just like the dude can get 30 points in a quarter, taking like six dribbles on all jump shots and stuff. Like it is not, to me, it is not wise. And you, anything can happen when the nerves start kicking in. Like I have seen so many times where once you put the lights on for somebody, it doesn't matter how good they were or how great their percentages were. Things just get harder. The ball just gets heavier. And I don't like I don't like the over-reliance on a corner three or anything like that when all of a sudden the the, the mental game starts take, taking over in the playoffs. Okay. So I'm just gonna say I'm 100 percent in support of the Clippers jacking up a shit ton of threes. And the reason is math. Um if you actually look at it for this year. I believe I don't know how many points in the paint Utah had. I think they actually know they both had 48 points in the paint um, in games that the Clippers have given up at over 50 points in the paint. I believe they're undefeated this year because they're also making because the Clippers are making a ton of threes. Um, the math game is simple and a lot of the great defenses this year have figured out that giving up shots inside, you know, 14 feet, 10 feet is not going to kill you. It's the shots from beyond the arc. So when you actually do like a little thing of like you compare three point attempts allowed in terms of like raw, like like percentage of field goal attempts allowed being from three to defensive rating for other team for like those teams, the teams that give up like the fewest three point attempts to the opponents are the teams that are near the top in defensive rating. So like three point shooting has become so prevalent that taking a lot of threes is great and giving up as few threes as possible is the best way to ensure that your team is really good. For instance, the Utah jazz give up the second fewest amount of threes in the entire NBA based on a raw percentage. And they're second in defensive rating. The Lakers give up the seventh fewest and they lead the league in defensive rating. You start going through some of, some of these things. It's wild. The Houston Rockets, give up the fourth fewest. They're fourth in defensive rating. The Phoenix Suns give up the third fewest. They're seventh in defensive rating. The, uh, the Warriors give up like a middle of the road, like a mount. You, you look at these teams and the fewer three-point attempts that you allow, the better chance you have of winning. And the more threes you take, the better chance you have of winning because of a similar type of math equation. I understand people hate 
the some people not everybody but some people don't like the analytical side of of this where it's like oh well you, you kind of taken the fun out of it where you're just jacking up threes but not all threes have to be taken you know with a defender with a hand in your face you can get them based on ball movement and get open looks like utah does it a ton they do it basically more than any other team in the league and it's a big reason of why they're good like like utah i honest to god look at utah and it's like that's the pinnacle of basketball teamwork their defense is amazing. They limit the best shots that an offense wants. They limit it greatly. They then get the best shots an offense can get on the other end. They don't take very many mid-range shots whatsoever. They take a ton of threes and they get to the rim. Like, I know people hated the Daryl Morey Houston Rockets, but that was how it had to be. It's a math game. And if you leverage teams from taking threes and you get them into the mid range, odds are in those games, you're going to win. And that's why I believe if you have a wide open three, that's the absolute best shot you're going to get. And it most likely does not matter who the shooter is. But then at the same time, you can talk about net ratings. You can talk about whatever you want. Still, people still choke. Like there's still things people that go the miss, intangibles people beyond. People still miss layups. But the likelihood of missing it is not as high. Sure. The likelihood of a wide open layup is not, it doesn't matter like how great of a three point shooter you are, how bad you are, the likelihood of missing that layup. So it's like the Clippers, the only, like the only two teams with negative net ratings are the lowest net ratings in the NBA to get into the conference finals in the last decade were the Rockets and the Nuggets, both who the Clippers let in. Both of the Clippers let him because they started choking from three. And then you look at the Rockets, too, when they had the chance against the Warriors and they missed 27 straight three-pointers. They could have won that game pretty easily if they decided to stop shooting so many three-pointers and change their game up. Like, the threes work fine on paper, and all the analytics work fine on paper, but once you start kicking in the mental aspect of things, like, it doesn't work out the way you want it to. But the and thing you want is, to limit that as much as possible. But the thing is, three-pointers played a big deal the other way for those teams too. Like Houston, because of Corey Brewer and Josh Smith making threes. Not that year. I'm talking about the year that they blew it to the Warriors where they oh. had 27 missed threes in but a row. But then you talk about Denver though, but Denver Denver was making threes against the Clippers the last several games. That's not how series they came too. back though. They came back because George was tracking stuff up and then they kept getting to the free throw line. That was exactly how they came back in game six. For every shot Paul George missed, they went to the free throw line. And the then Clippers and Nuggets attempted in. the same amount of free throws in that game. In game six? Yes. No, but that and was in how game they seven. came back, though. I understand, but what I'm saying is they attempted the same amount of free throws in both game six and game seven as each other. It's it's really It's really just the fact that, like, they went cold from three. The other team buoyed themselves from three. That's what it comes. That's what the majority of games come down to now. Which again sounds awful. I I enjoy it. Um, my least favorite year of watching basketball. Yeah, you've been a a big time grump. Um, do you got anything for the good people? Do you even want to do a hot take of the week? Um, I feel like you don't have one. I could have one. Go ahead. I'll let you have. I don't really have one. Uh, related to anything, huh? Oh, I got it. 
I don't know if it's that hot. Uh, it's not that hot. I'll give a hotter one. Uh, the first four episodes of WandaVision kind of suck. Okay, okay. I'm tired of you coming on here and just crapping on a WandaVision. I mean, it's better now. It is much I'm just t- better I'm just now. tired of you coming on here and just but crapping on WandaVision. the first four episodes are like, bro, it's like the same joke. Oh, it's like telling the same fart joke for four episodes straight where I'm like, I get it. She's in this cool world and things uh, aren't no spoilers. what they're supposed to be. No spoilers. The other take I was going to say was Your Honor had like one of the worst endings I've ever seen. But everybody okay, so I haven't watched it. I, need to, I, I want to watch it, though. No, nah, that's a waste of time. I will give people a, uh, a television show recommendation, though. If you're looking for a very funny television show, I would start watching Resident Alien. It comes on sci-fi. It is hilarious. I will. That's that's my show recommendation. Resident Alien on sci-fi. It's a blast. You got anything for the good people as we finish up? A very long podcast. Nah. Okay. All right, everybody. We'll be back in a few days, probably. Uh, everybody take it easy. We might actually be back after the Brooklyn game. We'll see. But uh, everybody take it easy. Stay safe. Social distance. Wear your mask. Tell your loved ones you love them. Hug somebody if you can. If they live in your household, don't go out in public and just start hugging people. That's not cool. It's not wanted. Um, I got a new phone today, by the way. I feel very pumped about this. So you don't have I, a 95-year-old phone anymore? No, I had the iPhone 7 Plus, And now, my good man, I have the iPhone 12 Pro Max. Is that like the best one? Yeah. Um, it's, I still need to set up some stuff on it. But the guy was very nice at the Verizon store. Appreciate him. Thank you, Kirk, at Verizon. That, wow. Imagine if you heard that, by the way. There's a 0% chance of There's zero percentage. I understand. All right, everybody take it easy. We'll talk to you, everybody, later. Stay safe. Take it easy. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York.